life support is nominal. The oxygen danger indicator level is yellow. Please remember that this is a non-smoking pirate ship. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gin Lounge. Today we are talking about a topic that affects all of us, money, or the lack thereof. More specifically, this terrible economy. So, uh, we brought in our publisher and financial reporter, Nate Woolley. Nate Woolley has been published in such prestigious publications as the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post, writing about the economy and video games and the video game market. So, if anybody knows what's going on with the economy and, in fact, uh, the economy as it relates to our beautiful video game industry, it's Nate. So, Nate, welcome to the lounge today. Thanks, John. No pressure, you know. <laughs> no, not at all. But uh, one of the things I wanted to get at, I mean, obviously, everybody listening to this probably understands or in some way feels the pain of the of the economy at the moment. But I've heard a bunch of people from the president on down to, uh, you know, the guy at the bus stop trying to explain what happened with our economy. Uh, so, Nate, I just thought maybe we would start off with um, with your impression as to, you know, covering the financial market how did we get here what what in general you know the 50,000 foot view happened to get us to the spot that we're in right now which is by the way in case you're listening from a foreign planet not good <laughs> not good yeah not good oh bad oh bad oh bad <laughs> the 50,000 the 100,000 foot view of it is basically we lied to ourselves and we believed it <laughs> and and sooner or later somebody said hey look your homes aren't really worth nine million dollars each. <laughs> you know, the value of downtown Los Angeles isn't more than all of Europe put together. <laughs> Those sort of things are good and useful, but they're also fiction. And sooner or later, the fiction comes due, and somebody has to actually write a check with cash. And it so, turns out nobody's got it. So it was kind of like, almost in a sense. That is kind of the explanation, although not specifically with the housing market, but that's kind of the explanation as to what happened in the Great Depression where there was a lot of promises and a lot of money on paper, but there wasn't a lot of accounts receivable, for instance. You didn't have the money in hand that you had on paper. That's right, especially uh, during the Depression with people purchasing uh, stocks and therefore purchasing value for themselves on margin where they only had to put down a small percentage of their uh, of the value of what they were trying to buy, believing they could sell it later at full price. Well, it turns out when somebody actually wants cash for it, and nobody's willing to buy what you you have. Bang, down you go. Wow. Okay. Makes I mean, sense. Why, why would anybody pay you know three million dollars for a home when nobody else is going to buy it? Yet that was exactly what we believed about ourselves for a long time. Interesting. Now, I do want to get into obviously how the how the, all this relates to the game industry because that's the one thing that that you look at. Nate, Nate, uh, for those of you that don't know, actually runs the uh, the Gindex stock report every single week and monitors all those companies and how the uh, the market was going. So I, I have some interesting questions for you about uh, the markets, uh, the game industry's seeming immunity to this whole uh, downturn in the economy, at least at first, until that. Also proved to be, like you say, a, a falsehood that we were desperately believing. Um, but I wanted to mention that the 
show this week is sponsored by a company, uh, the East India Company, which is actually a game put out by Paradox, um, where you are able to build the world's most powerful trading empire and also fight, manage, and rule at the same time. Uh, the East India Company... Nate, I'm sure you're familiar with the East, with the East India Company. They were a company back when company being a company meant something. I mean, this was a company with its own uh, army and navy, and they were basically like more powerful than many countries at the time. Certainly, they were backed by the British Empire. <laughs> and uh, I've always been fascinated back when, with... back when that meant something. <laughs> True, I've always been fascinated by them. Uh, there's a banner at the top of the uh, podcast page if you're listening to this locally on Jin. If you're not and you want to check out the game, you can do so by going to www.eic-game.com. That stands for East India Company. That's eic-game.com. And uh, I've looked at the I've looked at the game. It's really cool. I mean, it's it's an economic sim certainly, but it's also uh, a naval sim. There's a lot of fighting uh, because you know the East India Company was one of the most powerful companies ever. But it, they did have other uh, companies and other countries actually that were that were rivaling them. So you know you can't just sail your ships to and from the New World without being uh, beaten up on by the Dutch, the French, the Danish, the Portuguese, the Swedish, the Spanish and the Holy Roman Empire from time to time will come calling and uh, you need to defend yourself. So it's it looks like a re- it looks like a really good game and uh, you know you can play the economy there and forget about how bad the real economy is, I guess. <laughs> Depends on whether you're a business owner or not, really. <laughs> I guess, I guess so. So that's eic-game.com uh, sponsoring the show this week. So we talked about how our real economy got into this state, which wasn't uh, the effect of uh, uh, cannonballs attacking us. Uh, frankly, now, frankly, it would have been easier if it was. <laughs> probably, probably, yes. So the game industry. Now, here's the one thing I noticed uh, when I was watching the Jindex. When the economy really started to crash, the din- the Jindex was flying high at the time. We were over like 5,000 points. Uh, the Jindex is, by the way, the way that GameIndustry.com tracks the health of the game industry by uh, using the publicly traded companies that are in there. And it's really we've been doing it for like 10 years, and it's a really good indication of how strong the video game industry. Is and at the time we were above uh, five or six thousand points, which was really really good for the Jindex. And when the economy started crashing, the Jindex stayed high for a long time. And I noticed a lot of pundits and other people, not you, Nate. I'll give you credit for this, but other people on other news sites were writing and saying, "Oh, the game industry, the video game industry, is completely immune to the effects of this crashing economy." And that turned out not to be true. But why do you think that people thought that? That would be back to that wishful thinking we've heard about. Really? So that's all that was. Well, but but why you know, did the nobody, index stay high? There there are a couple of reasons for this. One, people believe what they're told. If the media is out there, and, and frankly, John, that means you and I just as well. I mean, I know I play the dour guy right. on these these podcasts, the the splash of cold water to the face. <laughs> um, if people are out there saying, you know, oh, the game industry is immune, you know, it's going to keep making money even in this downturn. People are going to believe that, and to a certain extent, that becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. So people keep buying game stocks because. People are telling them that they should buy them, hmm. and nobody looks at the underlying fundamentals. Um, so to a certain extent, there's there's that, but that will only keep you going for so long. Mm-hmm. Sooner or later, 
you know, reality asserts itself as it is unfortunately want to do. Um, and eventually it starts tailing off and sales start getting weaker and weaker. And it turns out the people who have been buying games don't have the 50 or 60 or $70 to buy one anymore. You know, they can't buy the game for 40 and the help book for 25. And <laughs> yeah, it and seemed- su- suddenly, you know, firms that were looking robust and games that were really highly anticipated are tanking in the market because the people out there who are who buy the games don't have jobs anymore. And correct correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the things that I think helped video games at the time and also continued to help video games in general is that they tend to be as far as entertainment goes a pretty good value. If if you take let's let's compare it to movies for example. If if you go to the movie theater, you know, by yourself and you're depending on what part of the country you're in, you you might pay ten dollars to get into the movie, and that's not counting anything else, you know, food or or uh, drinks and things like that. So ten dollars to get in, and you're entertained for maybe two hours, and then it's pretty much over. Whereas a video game generally has higher upfront costs, maybe forty or even sixty dollars, but that game is pretty much yours forever at that point. Well, at the moment, we'll see how it goes. Licensing and DRM, but in general, your your statement is right. Um, you do have replayability for games, mm-hmm. you know, and I believe there's a lot of that going on out there. Whereas with a movie, you know, when you're seeing it first run in a theater, you get that two hours and you're done. That's it. You know, you can replay it in your head, you can discuss it with your friends, but you'll never see it the first time like that again. Oh right. For, yeah. for that to happen, you have to lay out the twenty bucks for the DVD. And allow me to point out, 20 bucks is a lot cheaper than the 50, 60, or 70 a family is going to spend. So for a repeatable experience, a repeatable home experience, you save a lot of money. Right. Uh, and games are like that. That's an important thing. Yeah, and in fact, uh, it's now one of the things that I think is interesting about the current economy state, I get – I see a couple – individual areas within the game industry that are actually doing well and in fact better than they were before the economy crashed. One of the ones that is pretty obvious uh, when, or maybe isn't so obvious, but I get a book call, uh, from the Casual Gaming Association and they their position is that they're they're doing better than they ever did. These casual these people that make these casual games. Now, do you think that that is basically because they're also less expensive? I think that's a part of it. I also think that the learning curve for adults mm-hmm. for a new video game is too steep or it's very steep for, you know, Joe Blow office man. Oh, absolutely. Wanting to play it. I mean, who wants to sit there with a book that's 75 pages long trying to figure out how to play the latest game? Whereas if you go to PopCap mm-hmm. uh, for Plants vs. Zombies or some of the simple independent stuff that Steam is putting out there, right? you can master it. You Well, you can learn it in the next you know 20 minutes, and then it's just up to you to master it. Um, so those casual games, A, they're priced better. You know, if you're paying $12 or $15 for one, happiness, um, as opposed to 50 or 60 And the learning curve, the ability to enjoy a game, well, let's face it, casual games like that are where, you know, quarter arcades were 25 years ago in the early 80s. No, I didn't consider you, you that, could, but you're right. You could walk up to one, 
throw a quarter in and bang, you're playing Pac-Man. <laughs> That's Casual true. games do that. And I, I read your review of uh, Plants vs. Zombies. You seem to really enjoy that particular game. Oh, I do. And frankly, that model, that PopCap, that, that economic model PopCap is using, where it's available online, there's no packaging, there's no transportation, there's no retailer markup, so they sell a game for 15 or $20, and basically everybody who's ever bought a game, when they release a new game, gets an email saying, new PopCap game! <laughs> Come along, let's go. <laughs> and, and bang, and bang! Suddenly they've got an economic model that works, as opposed to paying what seventy five, eighty bucks for Spore. Right, right. That's true. Now the other area that seems to be doing well, according to a couple different surveys that I've seen lately, is massively multiplayer online games. And there, I think it's probably the re- it's got to be the replayability because the initial cost up front is probably going to be about the same uh, as far as you pay 40 bucks or 50 bucks to get the core game and then most people i think if they like the game are probably willing to continue paying that monthly fee which is really where the the developer and the publisher are going to make their money on that on that monthly fee not on the initial cost of the game won't get an argument out of me there um <laughs> And let's face it, I mean, $10, $20, whatever it is, mm-hmm. that's cheap. And you pay it every month. I mean, our managing editor here, Melissa, mm-hmm. is is effectively addicted to World of Warcraft. I, I know she was talking about finding some way to go out to the World of Warcraft uh, convention out in California. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, she does make a ton of money. She can play it. That's great. And it costs her 10 bucks a month. You know, <laughs> she had to buy the initial game, but I know – what what was the latest expansion, Wrath of the Lich King or right, some right. rip off D and D expansion pack thing something? Mm-hmm. You know, she had to save up for that. Right. But the monthly charge, mm-hmm. you know, she was all about it. So it, it does offer value in hard times. Yeah. People, people have to, to sit on their entertainment dollars and what they're gonna spend it on. Sure. Much more carefully than they did two years ago. When things were flying high. So if you could provide, let's face it, 10 bucks a month is going to get you a month's worth of entertainment. That looks like a good buy. That's true. And I think some of the com- some of the MMO companies are actually changing their uh, pricing structure as well, sort of maybe to bring it more in line with the way casual games are working. For example, you mentioned Dungeons & Dragons. I know Dungeons & Dragons Online, which is a turbine game, uh, is going to be completely free to play uh, very soon. They're making it where it's free to play. You can download it. You can play, I think, up to like level 20, unrestricted. And then there are ways they make money by you can buy items and equipment for real money and also you can pay for like extra content and so forth but it's kind of like almost what you were saying with the popcap model where it's like everything's free you can come in and play but then you're spending little amounts of inform- little amounts of money to get more content from the game so Seems like a good way to go, I guess, in this economy. And they still have Lord of the Rings, which is a traditional paying MMO to fall back yeah. on. Well, what was it? Guild Wars. All right. It's free. EVE Online. It's free. <laughs> sure, you see some ads, and maybe they'll talk you into buying expansion packs and little you know, knickknacks and stuff. But the entertainment part of it, it's free. You know, just to, to draw a parallel uh, – and warning, folks, this is publishing wonk here. Um, <laughs> newspapers. Everybody says newspapers are dying, right? Everybody oh, sure. with me on this? I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. 
the real issue isn't newspapers are dying, but that large daily newspapers mm-hmm. that charge for content are dying. Weekly free newspapers, you know, the ones that cover your city council and what's going on at the city park, mm-hmm. you know, where the 4th of July fireworks are going to be and might interview that new guy who's starting a business down the block. Mm-hmm. Those guys are doing just fine. Well, their, readers, their readership is up. Their advertising is up. You got to eat all of that up. <laughs> but the whole idea of charging for content appears to be dying. Uh, unless you talk to Rupert Murdoch, who's changing all his sites to become pay for content now, apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, well, great. He's decided to become poor. <laughs> Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yay, yay for Fox News, you know. <laughs> all right. Um, uh, I wanted to call your attention, Nate, to a survey that came out by the uh, Global Industry Analysts um, Association. They uh, they predict that the gaming market will reach 91 billion by 2015. Uh, yeah, I'd so, like a po- I'd like a pony too. <laughs> I uh, I thought I would uh, I thought I would throw that softball up there to see what you thought about that uh, little prediction. To, to get the industry to that amount of money in that amount of time would require a strong turnaround both in demand and uh, sort of overall economic behavior mm-hmm. over the next couple of years. Allow me to quote uh, a man some of you may have heard of, Warren Buffett today mm-hmm. on CNBC. We haven't got the economy moving yet, quote. He also said the economy remains in a shambles, but that he believes there'll be an a recovery over a period of several years. Wow. 2015 isn't that far away. No, no. I've got a five-year-old. Mm-hmm. You know, she's been alive longer than it'll take to get us to 2015, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, so to see that sort of wild growth, I think, is, you know, media or somebody getting a little ahead of themselves. Well, that might let be... Me, let me check my notes here. That was put out by Global Industry Analysts. Mm-hmm which is an economic uh, uh, analysis and consulting firm. Okay. But I might point out they have a certain vested interest in saying things are going to be good. <laughs> well, that might go back to what you were saying at the beginning of the you, game. You know, you know, if somebody says, hey, why don't you guys analyze the economy? Let me know how things are going. And your analysis is we're all going to die, start stocking up on saltines and bottled water. <laughs> There's no repeat business there, guys. This this is like think tanks in Washington. Folks, I covered the Hill for a number of years. Think tanks in Washington and all these folks are out there not for your best interests. They are out there to promote their own agenda and their own success, and that's what I see here. I see. Well, it's probably a good show. Well, then let me put you on the spot and ask you, when is the economy going to get back to normal? What's your your thoughts on when we can all start – I don't, I don't know, buying Xbox games and milk and honey again. <laughs> I thought we got them all free, John. <laughs> we, uh, the collective we. <laughs> um, I think we've still got at least a year and a half before things really unkink. There's, there are strong systemic issues with the American and, and global economy brought about by overvaluation of homes and businesses um, over the last several years due to, to – artificially low interest rates. Now, I, re- I, I understand the reason interest rates were so low, but we're still paying the price for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and those issues, overvaluation, the foreclosure crisis, you know, other other financial crisis, I think insurance is liable to be next, right. um, have to work themselves through the economy and put them behind us. 
all the fixes in the world, all the bailouts, all the here, have some free money, go spend it. All that sort of thing won't help us until we actually fix the structural uh, problems. I understand that there's a certain movement out there, both from the government and from, you know, economists and talking heads to say it'd all be fine if people just went out there and spent money and, you know, sort of increased the velocity of money. So people are spending and people are getting paid. But that discounts the fact that nobody's got any. People are losing their jobs. People are, are at least at this point, trying to save money. Right. As opposed to, to spending every dime we have and then another 10% besides. Yeah, I think the job loss thing is going to be the anchor that keeps the economy grounded for some time. Because even if the economy starts picking up, uh, the, all those people that lost their jobs aren't immediately going to be like, oh, come on back into the pool. Everything's great. And so – that's going to be money that's not put back into the economy because I don't think companies are going to be in a huge rush to rehire people just because they see the economy moving in the right direction. Have I let you hire anybody lately, John? <laughs> no, no, not at all. And, and, and it's not going to happen, so get used to the people we have. <laughs> well, frank, that's frankly, a good thing. <laughs> and frankly, anybody who leaves, you and I will have a strong discussion about whether they're replaceable. Right, right. A strong discussion as to what I'm going to be doing on my weekends. <laughs> well, it's not like I'm not out there with you. Right, that's true. That's true. Um, and I'm not trying to be all Mr. Doom and Gloom here, but any corporate person worth their salt has to behave cautiously in these sort of times. Makes sense. That makes sense. Now, now of course, you could provide com- you, our fine listeners in the industry, could compl- provide complete and safe employment for people here at Gin. Buy some ads. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And on that note, I we love want, you. <laughs> want to mention once again that this uh, the economy uh, show is sponsored by the East India Company. And to please visit eic-game.com or click on the cool banner ad and uh, play the game. You know, see see what they did in the olden days when the economy started to go bad. They just shot. They the went he- pirating. <laughs> they just shot the heck out of their competition. I'm not sure you really want to make that argument. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, if any of you have a story about the economy you'd like to share with us, please do so. You can send an email to ginlounge at gameindustry.com. We'd be happy to uh, to listen to you on air. Please don't send any job resumes because, as you can see, they probably are not going to go anywhere. But all other comments are more than welcome. And until next time, we hope that you have more than two games to rub together and more than two coins to rub together. In your own economy. <laughs> Take care, everybody. I'll see you next time. Hopefully, uh, we can do this show again in a year, Nate, and uh, things, I, I will, things will be better. <laughs> I promise to be more cheerful next time. All right, we'll do. I'm going to hold you to that. We'll All right. do that. Thanks, All right. John. No problem. Take care, everybody.